Well, how many of you like Pastor Micah and Kelly? Aren't they just awesome people? <clears throat> I've told Kelly many times, not only to her face, but in front of all of her family. She's my favorite angle of all the bunch. I mean, if you took Greg and uh, Crystal and well, Wesley and Will and uh, uh, Whitney and Tori and then there's Kelly. She's my favorite. And so I tell her that and I think we're blessed to have her. Micah, I want to tell you a little bit about Micah so you'll know some more about him. He's not here today and uh, he's uh, just a great pastor. But they were a little skeptical of bringing Micah in as senior pastors because of just how he was raised and some of the things that he went through in life coming up and uh, they heard a story about him when he was going into the third grade. He had to take a test, an aptitude test, to get into third grade. He was 13, trying to get into the third grade. And they brought him in, and the teacher said, Mike, I have to ask you a few questions because it seems that you're a little weak in your math skills. And he said, yes, Miss Teacher, you ask what you need to ask. And so they brought Micah in, and she said, Micah, okay, I'm going to ask you this question. He said, if I give you a rabbit today and a rabbit tomorrow and the next day I give you two rabbits how many rabbits would you have and Micah sat there and he kind of looked quizzically in the air and scratched his head and said well miss teacher I reckon you'd have 15 rabbits and she said now <laughs> Micah that's not true you're kind of weak in your math skills you don't know math and he said miss teacher you don't know rabbits <laughs> and so we knew that he would fit right in here at Boswell Oklahoma right he and Hollis, his brother, how many of you know Hollis? Remember Hollis? Hollis got lots of energy, and uh, uh, Hollis was in Sherman, Sunday. So I told the story about Hollis and Micah when they were kids. And uh, again, we were skeptical of Micah because of this. But one night when they were teenagers and riding around, they stopped and stole a pig from his farmer. And uh, they were driving off, and the farmer saw the car, so he called the highway patrol or the sheriff's office and said, someone stole my pig, and he described the car. And as they were driving down the road, the, here come the red lights, and Hollis got nervous and Micah set that pig up in the seat between us. So he grabbed the pig and set it up in the seat between them. And, and he said, oh, my goodness. He said, Pierre, put my hat on his head. And they put the hat. said, get your sunglasses and put on them. And they put the sunglasses and said, get that sweater out of the floorboard. Put that sweater around him. And so they put the sweater around him and the sunglasses and the hat, and they pulled over. And the two, two, there was two sheriffs, a sheriff, an older one, and then his deputy, and he, shined the light in and said who are you and he said I'm Hollis Moore and he looked over who I'm, I'm Micah Moore and said well who's that in the middle and he elbowed that pig and that pig went oink and that sheriff kind of looked funny at him and he walked away and as they were leaving Micah heard the older sheriff tell the younger one said boy of those Moore boys I'd say oink's the best looking one of all of them <laughs> isn't that stupid <laughs> stupid jokes is how we get started in Victory Life Boswell amen we love Pastor Micah. We love uh, Hollis. They're great people. Known their family for years. Um, you know, we've had this COVID thing going on, and a lot of people are just facing it in all kinds of ways. And, uh, and it is serious in many ways, but we, people have been afraid to come. They've been afraid to get out. And actually, we were out of church for so long, people have gotten out of the habit of being in church because it is a discipline to be in church, to make a habit out of it. It's something you have to exercise on a regular basis because it's easier to not come than it is to come until you form that habit it's kind of like getting up of a morning I mean the way you learn to get up early of a morning is you get up early of a morning 
And over time, it becomes a habit. It, you have to do it consistently. And it's the same with church. And so I would like for all of you, if you guys are part of this church here, just look around at the people that aren't here that you know that have gotten out and gotten discouraged and just make up your mind to pick about five people out and just give them a call and say, hey, we miss you and we're believing God for you. That's what I do every week. I call people that when I go to locations and I see someone not there, I start finding out why aren't they here? We're so-and-so. I called about a couple in Sherman just a, a couple of weeks ago. I thought, where are they at? I haven't seen them in a while. I called uh, about a couple from Ardmore that I had been seeing, hadn't been seeing, so we found out where they were. And just and sometimes there's no problem. Sometimes there is. We can work them if there is a problem. And sometimes it's just people get out of the habit, and that little word of encouragement can make a big difference. Amen? All right, do you have a Bible this morning? So, again, this is off the cuff, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to be in the Passion Translation, and I heard someone recently make some remarks about this Passion Translation on social media. They just don't like it for some reason, and that's okay. If you have something, you can follow along. But since I've started reading this, it has literally made the Word of God come alive like never before. I absolutely love this translation. I still have the King James. I still have a lot of other translations as well as I know you do. But it's really neat. So if you follow, it may be just a little bit hard to follow, but um, uh, I think we'll get to the same place. Let's look at verse number five. Whenever you pray, first question is, do you pray? That's a question you have to ask yourself. And do you really know what prayer is and what is the purpose of prayer in the earth? It's an important thing to pray. Prayer is something that when I first started in my journey with the Lord, I didn't have a very good prayer life. It's taken me years to develop any kind of a prayer life that I would call a good prayer life. I really love the Word of God, and I put a huge emphasis upon the Word of God because Jesus said when everything else passes away, the Word of God is the only thing that will remain. Governments come, governments go. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. People come into power, people leave power. New people take over, old people go out. But the one thing that never changes is the Word of God. I love the song that, that uh, they sang this morning about prophecy. I'm thinking that is one of the, uh, probably one of the most uh, timely songs I've heard in a long time because we're back at a place where God is saying the future of you, the future of me is in my own words, the things that I say as I prophesy my very future into existence. I know a lot of people kind of look at you strange like that. They think, well, life just happens and you have to take life as it is. But Jesus said death and life are in the power of what? The tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. In, in Mark's gospel chapter, uh, uh, somewhere in Mark's gospel, somewhere, he said, uh, 11, he said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and not doubt in his heart, but believe that the things that you say will come to pass. You shall have whatsoever you say. What does he said? You're going to get what you say. You talk bad, you talk negative, you talk uh, negative results. You end up with negative results and people wonder, why is this happening to me? But if you begin to say what God says about things, find out in his word what he says about things and begin to communicate what God says about things, I promise you, you will begin to see things turn around in your life because he said, your words have power. They bring death or they bring life. Amen. So Jesus is talking about prayer. And 
I spoke on this a few weeks ago when the weekend that I spoke on this was the night that Pastor Dwayne was in the hospital. And they called me. I was in the hospital with him. Don and I had went over. Sue and Dwayne had called us. And we were there in the hospital. And the next Sunday morning, he was scheduled to speak. And, and he didn't, wasn't obviously going to be able to speak. And uh, maybe it was a Friday night. And I spoke Saturday afternoon. And then three times Sunday morning, I think, is how we do that over there. And everybody was kind of shook. And nobody had anything to say. And I had just been reading this Lord's Prayer that week. And it just had started clicking within me what God was actually saying. And when they said, uh, Sue looked at me and said, hey, would you speak this weekend? Do you have a word? We need someone with word. I said, I've got it. And I stepped up on the stage. And I mean, we had a blowout. It was great. The word of God went forth. People were changed. Pastor Womack was listening from Colorado and sent word down with Dwayne how he had listened to the message and how much it had spoken into his life. And so different people were, it, it was just a timely message at a timely place in our lives. And Jesus was talking to his disciples about prayer. They had asked him, said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? They were watching him and knew that there was something about his prayer life and the successes that he were, was having, there was a connection there. And they said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And so as he's talking to them about prayer, he said, Whenever you pray, be sincere, not like the pretenders who love the attention they receive while praying before others in the meetings and on the street corners. Believe me, they've already received in full their reward. But whoever or whenever you pray, go into your innermost chamber and be alone with the Father God, praying to him in secret. And your father who sees all you do will reward you openly. Now, listen, guys. Sometimes people can overread or underread the scriptures. He's not saying that if someone hears you pray that you lose your reward. He's talking about the motives of the heart. If you're praying to be seen, if you're doing what you're doing to be seen so that others can see you, he said, that is your reward. The fact that someone heard you. But if you want God to reward you, you have to enter into a secret place with God. Now, if you listen, that's your business. But my heart is in a secret place with God. And there's rewards that come when I enter into a secret place with my father. He has the ability to reward me. It's promised right here in his word. And somewhere we have to become promise minded and not so circumstance oriented that we see everything through our circumstances. Well, I guess God didn't want to heal me. Why does he not want to heal you? Well, I still feel bad. Well, what does the word of God say? Well, I know what the word of God says, but why don't I feel better? Why did so-and-so pass away? Why did this happen or why did that happen? There's a lot of things that we can't answer those questions. But what we can answer is what God said in His Word. By His stripes, you were healed. What I can go to the Word of God and say, give and it shall be given back to you. What I can do is go to His Word and say, if I find favor with God, He will give me favor with man. I mean, I walk in favor. How about you? People just like me. I, I know you can't help it. <laughs> and that's my story, and I'm sticking with it, too. <laughs> and if there's somebody arguing with that, they'll just have to argue with God. When you pray, there's no need to repeat empty phrases. Or your, your Bible may say vain repetitions. He's not saying that repetition is wrong, but he's saying it's not needed. If you want to repeat the same thing over, there's nothing wrong with that. But if it's empty repetition, you're just wasting 
your breath. There's some things we pray about every day. The same thing. There's some things that you should pray about every day. Jesus actually taught them when you pray. He said, said when you pray, said you ask and keep on asking. And you seek and you keep on seek. And you knock and you keep on knocking. And you will eventually get what you're looking for. So there's a place where we repeat ourselves. But if you repeat yourself just thinking that multiple words is what's going to move God, you're kind of deceived already. It doesn't take a lot of words. Sometimes it's just, Lord, help me. Sometimes it's just, Lord, would you heal so-and-so, my baby. Sometimes it's just, Lord, would you give me guidance? You don't have to go into just hours and hours of repeating the same things over and over and over again. Now, this is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Little secrets as they go through. For they expect God to hear them because of their many words. There is no need to intimate to intimate them, imitate them, since your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. Now, this is what we call the Lord's Prayer. We repeat it from the King James Version, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is not the prayer you're supposed to pray. This is a model on how to pray. If you pray it, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with praying the prayer. But it's not the one and all conclusive way that you should say things. It is a model on how to pray. This is what Jesus is doing. It's very simple. It doesn't take a lot. It's not very detailed. It's small, but it covers everything. It encompasses everything within the kingdom of God that it takes to be successful in your prayer life. So let's just see how he starts off. Our Father... Dwelling in the heavenly realms. May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Number one, our Father, we're saying, I am a child of the living God. You have to have a personal relationship with God to have an effective prayer life. You have to know that he's your father and you're his child. And you have to put that in the concept of what about me and my children? Don't I concern myself with their needs just like God concerns himself with my needs. He's my father. See, I've entered a different realm when I say God is my father. Our father, which art in heaven. Now I've changed positions. Now I'm not only on the earth, but I have one foot on the earth and one foot in heaven. When you say our father, which art in heaven, I'm telling the world, I'm telling everyone who's listens, I have a union with God. I am of the family of God. And though you see me here, the minute I say, Our Father which art in heaven, I have stepped one foot into the heavenly realm. See, I can go into the heavenly realm now as a child of God, and I can hear the things, the mysteries and the secret things from the presence of God and bring them as a conduit back to the earth. And I can take the needs of the people from the earth into the heavenly realm before my father. That's what a kingdom of priests does. A priest, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, they would go out on the porch between the, the altar and the people and they would address the people with the word of God, take the needs of the people and go back to the altar and take them before God. That's what you do as a child of God when you go to prayer. You're taking needs from the earth into heaven before God. And you're getting words from God and you're bringing them back to the earth. You have dual citizenship as a Christian. One foot on the earth and one foot in heaven. Now I just wonder if we really believe that. 
would that effectively change our lives at all? Would it make a difference in how we see things? Would it make a difference in how we walk this walk out if we really believe that we had the ability to step into heaven with God? Step into heaven with God and hear from God to, to bring those words, those ideals, those thoughts, that vision back to the earth and make an effective change. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. So you know how God's going to get his will in the earth? He's going to use people like you and me. He's going to use you and I to get his will prophesied into the earth. What if we don't prophesy it into the earth? He might leave us to our own devices. He might allow us to walk our own walk and do our own thing and let the circumstances be what they may. I would choose to do this. To be a person who steps into heaven and say, God, you see where I'm at. You see what I'm going through. Man, I'll tell you, there's, there's nothing better than going back to the Psalms and reading the Psalms of David. David was an unusual man. He wasn't like the way I was taught. I was kind of raised in a, what we called the word and faith movement. And we had this idea that you couldn't talk about your issues. It just all had to be positive and it all had to be faith. And, and if you ever said anything negative and you were going to just fry and burn right there on the spot. But yet David could go before God. Psalms 13 is one of the best ones. And he said, God, I'm hurting. That's how he starts the psalm. I'm hurting. How long are you going to turn your back on me? When are you going to finally come to my rescue? But he would start that way many times. But by the time he got to the end of it, he said, but I tell you what, when God does come, when I do get my breakthrough, things are going to be different in my life and the people's lives around me. He had the ability to take his knees before God but he's taking them to God to be healed, to be changed, and to walk away from there with a very different attitude, a, a different outlook on life. Many times we just take our problems to God and we complain and we leave thinking we've had an effective session of prayer and we didn't wait for God to talk to us, to correct us, to show us what he wants to do, to, to give us insight as to why we're in the position we're in or what we need to do to walk out of it. And we need to spend time before God, not only to take our needs to God, but to hear God speak back to us and what he has to say. Amen. One time the Pharisees had come to try to trick Jesus and uh, they said, Lord, should we pay tithes to Caesar, taxes to Caesar rather? And he said, what do you have a coin? So one of yeah, I've got a coin. He reached in and he pulled out a coin and he said, look at it. And he looked and said, whose picture's on it? He said, Caesar's. He said, you give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, but you give to God the things that belong to God. Again, he's telling us that we're dual citizens. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're citizens of the United States of America because we live here, but we're also citizens of heaven. There's rules within the earth that we have to follow and go through. And yet there's rules in heaven that are trump the rules of the earth. And I follow the laws of man as long as it doesn't defy the word of God or my conscience. And that may vary from person to person sometimes. Not the word of God, but our own conscience. And Jesus said, you live dual citizenship. People get so caught up into the earth and the world and the way things are done and what Caesar said. And they get bent out of shape and they never use the word of God. They keep continually saying what Caesar says about things as though that's truth. It may be a fact, 
but it's not truth. Did you get that? See, facts are subject to change, but truth remains the same. Jesus said the words that I speak unto you, they're truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just a fact, he's truth. It may be a fact the doctor said this, but the truth says this. It may be a fact, this is how much money I have in the bank, but the truth says this. It may be a fact that I've failed at this and failed at that, but the truth trumps facts. And as someone who has dual citizenship, I need to be able to distinguish between what's of God and what's of man. And see, people are being out of shape. Oh, my God. They're going to they're gonna make us all use credit cards. It's the mark of the beast. It's no more the mark of the beast than a coin is. Because whose picture's on the coin? Caesar's picture's on the coin. George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, those faces are on the coin. Man made the coin. Man made the card. One is not any more evil than the other. And so we get bent out of shape by listening to the world and rhetoric and people who don't know what they're talking about instead of going back to the Word of God and letting God tell us. Now what it will do, it will take away some of your freedoms. It will take away some of your freedom. So, yeah, I'm not for it, but it's not the mark of the beast. It's not the Antichrist. You say, well, what is it? The Antichrist has been with us from the start. John said that in his gospel. First uh, John chapter 2 said, Beloved, Antichrist already exists. There's many Antichrists in the earth. They're all rehearsing to the big day. It's a rehearsal going on. But there's a lot of things out there that are against God. But you have dual citizenship where you can bring something positive. You can bring the word of God into hurting people and you can be a light that shines in darkness. The Bible said that in Philippians. It said we shine as lights in the midst of a dark and a perverse nation. And that's what we need to do. That's what God's asking us to do. To be lights. To shine. To be something different than what the world Sees. Let's look at Psalms chapter 81. Psalms 81. Again, this is David and how he speaks. Verse 1. Lord, just singing about you makes me strong. You ever feel like you need to be strong? You ever feel weak, worn out, given up? Man, there's something about singing about God that makes you strong. Singing about Him makes you strong. Man, I, I tell you what, I get so frustrated with Christians more than I do the world. I, the world doesn't bother me. They act the way they're supposed to act. It's kind of like a dog that barks at your car, you know, or something, or you, or that's just, they're just being dog. Or dig a hole in the yard. Uh, we have a new dog, and it's been digging up my wife's flower bed. And she's one side, I said, whoop, 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 whoop. Remember, when you got the dog, I said, he will dig up your flower bed. So that's just part of being a dog, is you dig up the flower bed, so... You got to fill the hole up or get rid of the dog. Which one you want to do? And so that's just a dog is a dog. The world is the world. But Christians who should know better are who frustrate me. Christians who should know better, who live like the world and they're citizens of heaven. People who are royalty in God's eyes, people who have the mind of Christ, people who have been made the wisdom of God themselves, who have the answers for life's problems, who act like, well, I just don't know. I just don't understand. I'm just so confused. Well, that's of the devil. Confusion doesn't come from God. And we get caught up in this because we can't separate 
from the world versus from God. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And David said, just singing about you makes me strong. And I see Christians who take up time on social media or in articles or somewhere when they have the opportunity to speak out for God are speaking out against certain praise and worship songs that we do just because it doesn't fit their particular style. It doesn't fit their, well, I like the hymns and I like, well, that's okay if you like the hymns. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's nothing wrong with the other either. You can have both if you want them. But never get caught up in criticizing something just because it's not your particular style. Because God can speak to us whether it be through the hymns or through praise and worship songs. He can speak to us through however He wants to speak to us through those things. We were, uh, I remember years ago, I was in, uh, we were in California, Monterey, California, and uh, we had went out on the pier one night to have dinner, and uh, is out over Monterey Bay, and we'd went into this Italian restaurant, and I had grown up when I had seen the term, say, Antichrist, and man, I just thought, ooh, evil, rotten, uh, dragon, uh, breathing fire, uh, devouring everything in its past, and past path, and uh, man, I just, I just, what I thought when I heard the word Antichrist. I would uh, think this evil beast, and boy, there's no way I would ever follow the Antichrist. He's so ugly and grotesque, and I mean, I recognize him right off, and I would just go the other way. And that's what I thought. And I was in this restaurant one night, and I actually uh, read the word wrong, but we were uh, getting ready to order, and there was a bar uh, in the restaurant, and it said anti-pasta. But I, it's anti instead of anti, but I was uh, saying anti, and I kept thinking, what in the world is anti-pasta? What is, who is against pasta? I mean, what did pasta do to anybody? And I'm, this is, we're trying to have dinner, and this is going on in my head. Who in the world is against pasta? If you don't like it, you just don't like it, don't eat it, but, but why would you be against it? Why would you even put up a sign that says, I hate pasta in a pasta restaurant, and we're sitting there, and I'm just going over that. And I'm, I'm really struggling with this. I'm thinking, why are they against pasta? This is a pasta restaurant. I, my wife ordered lasagna, and I ordered something, and uh, spaghetti, or I don't know what, and it is pasta. And, and the word wasn't actually anti, it was anti, and it meant before pasta. But the word anti means instead of. Something beside, as, as well as anti does. Anti-pasta, anti-pasta. Something instead of pasta. And I remember walking away from there and I asked this lady, the waitress said, what is the bar for? She said, oh, that's just for people. That's just things that you can have before the pasta comes. Something instead of the pasta. And it hit me all at once, Antichrist. Not so much this grotesque figure that he will be when he's truly revealed and we see him through the scripture, but it's something instead of or in place of. And I can see how people are deceived not so much of something that's grotesque and anti or against Christ, but something that's instead of Christ. Something that's in place of Christ. Something that takes the place of something that's really what God has called us to do. Whether it be uh, our hobbies or, or our activities that the enemy works through to get us drawn away, our attention drawn away into politics versus the Word of God. Drawn away into our work versus the Word of God and the service in the kingdom of God. We get caught up in all of these things that are not so much against Christ, but take the place of Christ. And then I begin to see something. That's how Christians are a lot of times. 
they start looking for things that take the place of Christ. They're not so much against anything, but they're looking for something instead of Christ. David here was a guy who, who had ran for his life more than once. Here's a guy who had went out to fight when the kings had come out against him. And while he was gone, they come in and stole his whole kingdom away from him and all the women and all the children and all the elderly. And he had to go back and rescue them back. And everybody turned their back on David and began to criticize him. And the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes the only person that's going to encourage you is yourself. Sometimes your back's against the wall and everybody else is caught up in their own life and their own little thing and you want, why don't somebody understand me? Why don't somebody help me? You're a citizen of heaven and you have God's ear and when everything else fails and everyone else fails you, you have God who can speak right into your situation. This is what David knew. Here's a man who, in Psalms 91, you know that's a wonderful psalm. How many can quote Psalms 91? Me either. But I can read it. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's a great psalm to be quoting during this COVID time. He was in a cave hiding when he wrote that psalm. One of the worst times of his life. And he wrote this great psalm about how God was going to do wonderful things in his life. Look at David here. This is again Psalms 81. Lord, just singing about you makes me strong. So I'll keep shouting for joy to Jacob's God, my champion, let the celebration begin. This is the attitude you as a Christian should have every day of your life. Every day should be a joyous celebration in the kingdom of God, no matter what you're going through. I will sing with the drum accompaniment and with the sweet sound of the harp and the guitar strumming. Go ahead, blow the jubilee trumpet to begin the feast. Blow it before every joyous celebration and festival. They blew the jubilee trumpet every 50 years. And he's saying right here, he said, I'm going to blow it every day. I'm going to blow it every celebration. I'm going to have a continual feast in the presence of my God. I'm not going to wait 50 years to blow the trumpet. I think I'll blow it today and tomorrow. I'm going to blow it again. And the next day, I will blow it again. Man, one of the, uh, I shouldn't go here. It'd take me too long. But I'll just give you just a touch of this. One of the scriptures that always bothered me was when David and his men were walking down the road and they went in and ate the corn on the Sabbath. You ever remember that story? And I thought, why didn't they die? They weren't supposed to do that. Why didn't God challenge them? Why didn't he do something about this? And then you come over into the Gospels where Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath. And they question him about it. And he says, is it right to do good or bad on, on the Sabbath? And they couldn't answer it. He said, don't you remember David and his men when they were hungry on the Sabbath? They ate, and God didn't hold it against them. And I said, that's right. He didn't hold it against them, Jesus. How come? The law says you can't do that. And then I'm reading one day, and the Bible tells us that Abraham, who is the father of our faith, he comes from a great battle, and he comes before a king called Melchizedek, a very mysterious guy who had no beginning and no end. And he brings tithes to Melchizedek. And I said, okay, it's a good story, but I still don't get that. I'm reading in the seventh chapter of Hebrew. And the Bible says that Jesus was made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he tells us that when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, that Levi, which was to come, an offspring of 
Abraham, who would be of the Levitical priesthood, who received tithe at that time, was inside Abraham in his seed when Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. So what he's saying is that even Levi, who on earth was a priesthood, who received tithes from men, paid tithes through Abraham to Melchizedek. Now he said, Jesus said, but I'm like Melchizedek and the Levitical priesthood is when I'm the one who receives tithes now. What did David do? David looked past the law into redemption and saw Jesus. No rules, no regulations, and he ate the corn. He trumped the law with grace. He trumped the law with grace. And here's David, no matter what he went through, no matter how many problems he had in his life, no matter how many mistakes he had in his life, he was a man after God's own heart. He always trumped the law with grace. He would come before God and tell him all the truth. And because of that, God rewarded him openly and greatly. And he said, I'm going to have a celebration every day. I don't have to wait 50 years, as the law says, to blow the Jubilee trumpet. I'm going to blow it today, tomorrow. I'm going to wear it out. I'm going to blow the trumpet every day in my own life. He had this concept of grace and God's kingdom and the fact that we're the children of God. He looked for something, even in this state, he was looking for something that you have that he couldn't have. He still had that consciousness of sin on him because he wasn't redeemed like you are. And we have something better than this, and yet David, no matter what he went through, he just kept rising up and going forward, even if it was his own fault. Go ahead, blow the jubilee trumpet to begin the feast. Blow it before every joyous celebration, for God has given us these seasons of joy. Days that the God of Jacob decreed for us to celebrate and rejoice. He has given us feasts to remind us of his triumph over Egypt. This is why I have such an issue with Black Black Lives Matter movement. They want to destroy history. God wants to restore history, not destroy it. Because history gives us the ability to look back and see our successes and our mistakes and not repeat the same thing over again. I have an issue with it, guys. Now, I'm not against black lives. All lives matter. God made of one blood all people. But these movements, a lot of times, that people, because they don't know any different, they're emotionally caught up in things, begin to join in with things that don't even make common logical sense according to the Word of God. See, David said, I'm going to remember. God has given us these feasts. He's given us these monuments. They made those altars. He dug those wells. Things that he did that they could look back and it reminded them of God's provision. Amen? Say, I love Brother Jim. All right. We'll keep going then. Y'all didn't all say that. So I don't think some of you mean it. I've already made you mad. (laughs) I heard the message in an unknown tongue as he said to me, I have removed your back-breaking burdens and have freed your hands from the hard labor and toil. You called out to me in your time of trouble and I rescued you. God rescues us in a time of trouble. Not whining. There's, see, that's not prayer. God is watching over His Word. That's what He brings to pass. When you pray, He wants to hear what He said coming through your mouth so He can do it. I came down from the realm of the secret place of thunder where mysteries hide. So when God comes, He brings us answers. 
mysteries. I came down to save you. I tested your hearts at the place where there was no water to drink, a place of your bitter argument with me. See, you wonder, why doesn't God rescue us quickly sometimes? Why does he let us go through things? And why does he allow us these times of trouble and anguish? Well, right here is the reason right here. It's because of this root of bitterness that God's trying to work out of us. And these things that's in our heart that uh, we don't even know is there until we go through a testing time. It shows us what we're made out of. When you go through a test, you see what you're really made out of. By listening to the things that come out of your mouth and how you act in those circumstances. God said, I tested you. You had a bitter argument with me. And Hebrews chapter 12 said, if you're not careful, even when you think you stand, a root of bitterness can rise up and defile you. Well, God doesn't want you to be defiled. He wants to work that root of bitterness out so that our hearts are pure. And the Bible says, unto the pure, all things are pure. The pure in heart shall what? See God. Ultimately, that's what we want to do is see God. So he works these things out of us. I'm almost through. Listen to me, my dear friends. For I'm warning you, and you'd better listen well. For I hold something against you. Don't ever be guilty of worshiping any other God but me. I am your only God, the living God. Wasn't I the one who broke the strongholds over you? Wasn't I the one that raised you up out of bondage? Now listen carefully. Open your mouth with a mighty decree. The word decree means an official order issued by a legal authority. Open your mouth with a mighty decree and I will fulfill it now. You'll see the words that you speak, so shall it be. Isn't that awesome? That's enough to live on for the rest of your life right there. God tells you, you open your mouth wide with a mighty decree. And you watch me, I will fulfill your words and it shall be as you say. Well, how come it's not working that way? Because you still got bitterness in your heart. You won't let God deal with you in the testing time. Let God deal with you in the testing time. Let God deal with you in the problem. Let God deal with you through the dry spots of your life. Because ultimately, he's trying to get you to a place where what you say shall be. I didn't say this. God said this. So shall it be. You watch. You'll see. This is what God is saying to you and I as a believer. I have the right as a child of God to step from earth into heaven just by saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What is his kingdom? The word of God tells us what his kingdom is. Your will be done. What is his will? The word of God tells me what his will is. Be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Don't you think that everything goes the way God wants it to go in heaven? It can happen here on the earth, but God doesn't do it in spite of us. He does it through us. And if he can't get our attention and he can't get us to submit, he can't get us to go along with his plan and how he does things, then we're going to constantly go through these battles and wage the same war over and over and over again. God came into a dark, chaotic existence and he said, light be. There was no light. Light be, and the Bible says light was. He's telling you, look at your own chaotic world and say, life be, light be, joy come, blessings come, blessings come, blessings come, healing come, 
forgiveness come. Overcoming come. He's telling you to speak into your existence. The dark areas of your life. Decree it just like God says in his word. And watch what happens over time. Amen. So I'm more excited about the Lord's Prayer than I've ever been. <laughs> it's not just something we say to be religious. And I promise you, most people just say it just because it's something you say. Some people just pray just so they can have a place to complain. Do you think God wants to hear you complaining all the time? I know I don't want to hear it. I don't think he does either. He don't want to hear me complain. No one wants to be around someone who complains all the time. It gets obnoxious and old quickly. Negativism, it just, and it wears on you over time. The Bible says bad, com bad communications corrupt good manners. God's got to protect himself too. <laughs> and Isaiah in one place, and I, I think it's around chapter 40-something, and he, he said, uh, you weary me with your much talking. <laughs> well, you, when you make God weary, you, you're bad. You just, you are bad. You need to change what you talk about if God doesn't like to see you come. <laughs> God wants to have a people that are full of joy, who when they come in his presence, I don't care what they're going through, they're coming for answers. They're coming for direction. They're coming into the very presence of God to hear from heaven so they can come back to the earth and have a seed to sow in their circumstances and see a result over time. A seed sown is a crop grown. I need a seed from heaven, a word, a, an idea, a thought that I can bring back and sow into my circumstances. Huh? Man, I just, I just don't believe in taking life the way it comes at you. I believe in it comes at you. You can't change the fact that it comes at you, but I can change how I respond to it. I can change how it affects me. And over time, if I say what God says about it, I can eventually change even circumstances in my life to some extent. I may say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, just go back and read this and see what it tells you. See if I go back and read over what I said. And see if it says something different to you. Or does God mean what he says and says what he means? Somebody, well, it don't look like it. Well, I can't help what it looks like. That's, that's our fault. Somewhere on our end, the kingdom hadn't come. That's our business. We got to figure that out for ourselves. God will help us. But God says, my kingdom. He said, God, God said, when you pray, you pray like this. Your kingdom come on earth just like it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Amen. And when you stand praying, forgive. Well, that's hard to do. I know it. But he'll give you the power to forgive. You remember the one I started with? I'm, I'm closing right here. In uh, Mark chapter 11 and verse 22, have faith in God. For whosoever shall say into this mountain, be removed, be thou cast in the sea, not doubt in your heart, believe the thing you said shall come to pass. For whatsoever you pray, believe, and you receive, you shall have it. But then he said, but when you pray, forgive. When you pray, forgive. He connected forgiveness with a strong prayer life. Now, I want to tell you how, what brought that about. They're going into Jerusalem one day. And on their way in, they see a tree there. And Jesus sees it. It looks like it has figs because it's the time of year for it to have figs. And he goes up to it. And there's no figs on the tree. But it's all leaved out. And he said, curse you, no man will ever eat figs on you again. 
And he went on into town, and that's when they went into the temple, and the money changers were there. And Jesus didn't say a word. He just walked around and he looked. He walked around and he looked and he looked and he looked and went back into Bethany and they stayed all night. Coming back the next day, the tree was dead. And, and this is, or whether he, he went back into town the next day and he took a whip and he whipped them and he ran them out of the temple. Remember that? He made a distinction. He made a judgment on what they were doing and said it was wrong. When they come back, they come by that tree and the tree was died from the roots up. And Peter said, Lord, look at the tree. You cursed it's dead. That's when he said, whoever shall stay into this mountain. But he connected with forgiveness. The reason Jesus' faith worked the way it worked and the reason he didn't do anything the first day, he had to go get that worked out in his own life and make sure that he forgave them before he whipped them. He whipped them, but he had already forgiven them. He did what he had to do, but he wasn't holding anything against him. No animosity. He just did what he had to do. This is my God's house, and this shall be a house of prayer. Paul sends Titus into the island of Crete. Crete is just off the southern coast of Greece, part of the Greek islands in the Mediterranean. In a whole realm of the Mediterranean Ocean which you go through the Strait of Gibraltar Spain and below it uh, uh, Morocco and you take the northern African coast these are all what you would call the Barbary Coast this is where the pirates came from and we've had trouble with them for centuries and centuries ever since Esau and, and uh, Jacob we've had this trouble Isaac and Esau and uh Paul sent Titus to Crete. He said, I'm, I'm sending you to Crete that you put certain things in order. There's people that are teaching wrong thoughts, wrong religion. There's people that are not right in what they're teaching. You bring them in order. They're causing more trouble than harm. And then Paul says this. Now watch this. He says, see, we're so mixed up on judge, judging and how to judge and how to be righteous in our judgments and how to make distinctions between what's right and wrong. We're so emotional. We don't really have a good, strong spiritual base and we don't even know how to discern things correctly many times but he said I'm sending you there and said one of their own prophets these are the Cretans this is a whole group of people one of their own prophets has said this about themselves all Cretans are gluttons lazy beasts and liars that's a pretty strong accusation against a whole group of people in that's a pretty strong act. He said, one of their prophets has said this about the people that I'm sending you to. And Paul says this, it's true. It's true. See, the, the enemy's lied to us. He's told us we can't deal with the issues among people groups or in our society or in regionals or countries. And we can't because, oh, I, you know, I, we're supposed to forgive and love. You have a wrong concept of what love is. Love is not an emotion that you just do things that make you feel good. Love is a choice. Love is based on the Word of God. And love comes out of, in 1 Timothy, from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and unfeigned faith. That's where it comes up. You don't have to have love if you keep your conscience clear, your heart pure, and your faith strong. The love of God will naturally come out of you. And Paul, a man who loved the people of Crete because he sent Titus there to correct them, 
so they could be the strong individuals they were, said, these people are liars, gluttons, and evil beasts. And we've let the society tell us we can't make this judgment or we can't make this distinction between what's right and wrong. And because of the church has become weak, emaciated, and we're not strong, we're not changing society, we're giving in and capitulating. And because when you compromise, you don't go up, the strong come down. That's what compromise is. And God's asking us, said, I want you to come into heaven and come before me and be strong and go back into the world and be alive. Well, people won't like me. Well, they may not like you, but Jesus will love you. And he'll be satisfied and happy. I'm going to ask you today, are you strong enough to be that person? Are you willing to make those choices in life? I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to believe God. I don't care if people think I'm crazy. I don't have to go around and just rub it in their face. Or I'm not going to do that. I'm going to love people. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be kind to people. The Bible tells me too in Timothy who oppose themselves. And Satan has captured them and holds them at his will. I'm going to love them, be patient, gentle, teaching them if I can. But for me and my house, we're going to serve God. I'm going to be strong. And I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to come into the throne of heaven. And I'm going to get words from heaven and bring back and change the direction of my family. Change the direction of my job. Change the direction of my home. I'm going to say this is right and that's wrong. But I'm going to love you anyway. Jesus knew what they were doing was wrong in the temple. But he loved them anyway. And he cried over them. He said, my God, they're like sheep scattered. Oh, I wish I could have just brought you into my arms, he said. And I would have loved you, but you wouldn't let me. Even while he was correcting them, he said, please let me bring you in. Please let me bring you in. All the time he's whipping them. Get out of here. <laughs> Somebody said, well, how do you? See, doing the right thing is not always easy, but doing the right thing is always right. Oh, that, and that's what God said. He wants to build a great church here. He wants people that are strong. He just, you know, you know, we have people that are weak around us and they just can't stay unless their emotions are high, unless you make them feel good. And we should be at a place where we're beyond that. Where the church has to make us happy. We should be coming to the church to add something to the church. You don't believe that. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. When you come together. Somebody has a song. Somebody has a word. Somebody has an encouragement. And we offer those things and we have something. And you'd be surprised how wonderful the church would be. God didn't want to come this morning, to be honest. Can I be honest with you? I didn't want to come. When he called me, I struggled for hours before I answered him back. I thought, oh, man. I just I, Last week, I was in Sherman. I was in Durant. I've been on the phone. I've been dealing with people and counseling and and, and, and oh Lord, I just was going to play hooky today and just kind of rest up and might go hear Mark and we just have a me day. <laughs> you ever have just a me day? You just want to be yourself. And then you know, I was thinking about it, and the Lord said, you know, whoever gives a cool glass of water to someone, you didn't do it to them, you've done it for me. Micah was didn't need to be on the phone for three or four hours trying to find somebody to come at the last minute. And I did it for him. In turn, I did it for Jesus. And in turn, hopefully I've done something for you. Because it's not about me. 
I'll get my me day this afternoon if nobody calls me. <laughs> if, they, if I don't answer the phone, it's because it's a me day. <laughs> I'll get back to you. Just leave a message. Sell out. Sell out completely. Be all in. Don't be halfway in. Be all in. There's somebody that needs your support and needs your encouragement. There's somebody that needs you. I lost all my friends when I got saved. They all left me. It's a good thing. I needed that time away from them. But eventually, over time, they've all come back for help and need. And I'm able to pray for them. And this and that. I lost them all. But you know what? I gained more. Amen. We're going to pray for Ed this morning. Ed's going in for surgery tomorrow. Come on up, buddy. Those of come on up, Ed. Those of you that want to lay hands on Ed, feel free to come up. He's going in for surgery tomorrow. He has a mass in his hip. He's not sure what it is. We're going to believe God for a miracle. And you just go where you want to, Ed. <laughs> Amen. The Bible says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Nobody has to have any special power. You have the anointing of Jesus Christ on the inside of you. And let's believe God for something special. Let's believe God to do a mighty miracle in Ed's life this morning in Jesus' name. Someone who really feels strong and encouraged right now, just go ahead and begin to pray and lead. And if someone else has a word and want to take it, just flow with the Holy Spirit. So you guys go ahead someone begin to pray anytime who's first Buddy, we're for you. We'll all be praying for you. We're believing God for a miracle in Ed's life. Amen. 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 Guys, keep Pastor Micah in your prayers. I'm not sure how we're doing Jubilee this year. I know the local churches are meeting locally in praise and worship, and I'm not sure about how the word's coming out. Do you know, Connor, how they're going to do that? Me either. Do you know? how that's going to work out. I didn't think that we had that. Okay. 
okay. It'll be the same message. I expect to hear from God through Jubilee. I expect to hear a word for myself. And I hope you come expecting also. Amen. You guys are dismissed and God love you.